Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Wow, he sent me up there. I better better do good. (laughs) It was just under a year ago, on June 15th, that I was walking out of my home. I had my purse, my Bible, my book. I'm headed to Mariner's Church to officiate a memorial for a dear friend. When all of a sudden, I smelled something. I thought, oh dear, my Noel, my Noel, my black lab must have gotten sick because it smelled like diarrhea in my house. So I decided, well, I better go find out what it is. So I start walking around the house trying to find where the problem happened. And I ended up in the basement, and it turned out that it was not Noel. She was just fine following me everywhere. But our sewer system had backed into our house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was quite a mess, and so I called my husband immediately, and he put into action an effort to fix the problem, fix the walls, the flooring, and all of that, and it was about four months later. The work wasn't yet completed, and in October, I was in Israel with some of you, and while we were in Israel, I get the message that our basement has flooded again. It turns out that our sewer system, the line uh, underneath our master bedroom, bathroom, that area, uh, was damaged, and it no longer functioned as it was purposed to function. In fact, our house now, without a sewer system, was no more than a tent. A nice tent, but you know, if you can't flush your toilet or do laundry or do dishes, right, you're just living in a tent, no matter how big, how beautiful it might be. And so we went on, embarked on this journey to fix the house. We had to move out of the house while that was being repaired. You know, and that got me to thinking uh, that when things don't work the way they're purposed to, they kind of like, are not, that's not good, right? My house was no longer the, uh, working in the purpose for which it was designed for us to live in it. And in the same way, that makes me think of our own spiritual journey. You see, you and I were created by God to be in perfect relationship with God, in union with him for eternity. We were created to be dependent on God, and he gave us the the role of stewarding, ruling over his creation, which is quite remarkable. He purposed us not only to be in relationship with him, but to actually have an incredibly honoring task of caring for his creation. But here's a challenge. Sin, which is simply our way of rejecting that, rejecting God, gets in the way. Our, Our rejection of God saying, you know, we don't want God, we don't want to depend on you, God, we want to do things our way, Uh, we we don't want to be dependent, we want to be self-sufficient, sin created a separation between us and God, and thus no longer were we operating in the way in which we were created for, the purpose for which we were created. And God set into motion 
a, a plan to put us back to the purpose we were created. And that's what we've been studying over the last, last weekend and this weekend. We've been looking at is what is God's purpose for us and how do we get back to that purpose? What is God doing to get us back to that purpose? And we looked at uh, two verses out of Colossians, a letter written by Paul to a church in Colossae. And, and here in, in this verse, Paul gives us, this is the purpose. This is why you were, what God is doing in your life, what he's trying to intend to do in you, through you, for others. And so that we can restore who we are supposed to be in Christ. Now, I don't want to take it out of context. And so let me just give you the, the overall picture, because I'm not a fan of just plucking some verses out. And we've been studying two passages for two weeks. So just to be sure we understand where this comes from, Paul wrote a letter to a church that most likely he never attended. This was a church that was actually started by someone else. Later in the letter, we see that Epaphras was perhaps the senior pastor or, or the church planner of that church. And he visits Paul while Paul is in Rome in prison. And he tells Paul all about this little church, all these Colossians who are on fire for the Lord. They are, they, their faith is strong and they're, they're living it out. And you know, in the first century, this would have been really hard to do. Because early in the church history, you have to understand that you had uh, two groups of people coming together for the first time. You had the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel uh, coming down, trusting in God, believing in God for a Messiah, now believing that Jesus was that Messiah. And now they have become Christians, but fellow Jews who did not accept Jesus would separate themselves from them. And then you had everybody else who was not Jewish, who is not uh, part of the nation of Israel, who joined them. And suddenly, for the first time, these two groups of people were worshiping God together. And everyone else was looking at it with awe, and they, held, they had all kinds of oppression come at them. The community would, would uh, not like them because they, they were doing things that were so unusual. One of them, they talked about taking in the body of Christ, which was referring to communion, and they were accused of being cannibalists. They were just eating bread. They were caring for the poor and the marginalized. They were mixing uh, people who are wealth with people who are poor. They were, they were allowing women to come into the service. They were doing all kinds of things things, and they were dealing with oppression. So therefore, Paul writes this letter to encourage them, to strengthen them. He says, keep going. Don't lose the faith. Keep that fiery passion in place. But he also wrote to warn them that there would be oppression coming their way. They could be deceived. And he writes to them to remind them of their purpose. And right here in these two verses, which we're studying, we see that very purpose spelled out. The purpose you and I were created for. Colossians 8, I mean 1, verse 28 and 29. Listen to what it says. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end... I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Last week, we covered the first verse, verse 28. This week, we're going to cover verse 
29. Now, if you weren't here, uh, I'm going to give you a quick uh, review. But for the full message, you can go online uh, on marinerschurch.org. You just search the chapel. You'll see all the messages there. But they're also available on iTunes if you search for Mariner's Church. But let me give you the, the quick rundown of what we learned last week. Our calling, our purpose, when we say, I believe in Jesus, when we say we're a Christian, when we, we say we're part of this faith that trusts God through Jesus Christ, our purpose, as Paul tells us, is to mature in Christ, to become more and more like Jesus, to become the image of his son, not just for us, for our development, but for the world. We not only get to mature ourselves, but we get to help others mature in Christ. Paul says that's our purpose. And what does it look like to be mature in Christ? We looked at that last week, and it's all over the Bible, but we summarized it in the, the two commandments that Jesus gave his disciples. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's the number one. Second, love others as Jesus loved you. Love others the way you love yourself, at least, right? And if we do that, we are maturing in Christ. So your maturing in Christ is measured by the quality of your relationship with God and your relationship with others. How mature are you? Take a look at your relationship with God. Look at your relationship with others. Looking like Jesus means that we are doing both. And it isn't that any of us have arrived or will arrive in this lifetime but every day, it is God's intent to make us more and more like his son. And he calls us, who are still imperfect, works in progress, he calls us to uh, help others mature as well. Paul says he is the one we proclaim, meaning us who say we believe in Jesus, we are given a purpose, a task, a, an honor, a privilege to walk alongside others and help them mature in Christ. As we mature, we share what we learn. We share our mistakes. We are vulnerable and honest in our journey. And together, we grow in Christ. And we talked about how we do that. Remember, he, he said we have not admonished, meaning we, we try to shift our minds from wrong thinking. And we also teach others what we have learned. And so again, one of the things that we did last week is talk about why we come to the chapel. And this is a, a question you might have, like, why are we here? Why do we gather every Sunday? Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't give up gathering together as some of, you, some of them have. And here's the thing. You can watch a service online and you can get a, an experience. You can, you can have a wonderful time with the Lord and that's perfectly okay. But when you come to church and you are gathered with a bunch of people, the other side of the equation is worked out. Loving others as Christ loves you. Because listen, when we gather together, especially in this building, you actually are, are put in a place to learn to love people you probably would not normally associate with. People you would probably never meet because of your circumstances, your job, where you live, you, you would not connect with these people, your social circles. When we gather together, this is a wonderful opportunity to learn to love the other. And for someone to love you. 
And so we have to gather personally. And you know what I love about the chapel is this is a space that's big enough so that if, you know, you, you want to be by yourself, that's okay. But it's also small enough that, you know, she can see the person over there on the other side, right? You can see them and vice versa. We can see one another. We can hang out at the patio after the service and meet someone we've never met. We can encourage someone or be encouraged by someone else. And if this becomes your community and you come on a regular basis, you're going to make some friends because you see this. It's easy to find people. You're not lost in the sea of lots of people. So we talked about how important it is to gather together that we might learn to love one another the way that Jesus did. We talked about the fact that in the chapel, particularly here at Mariner's Church, we are, we're, it's the same church and we're obviously teaching at the same time. There's a pastor in the worship center teaching right now. And, but at the same time we're teaching, we're actually experiencing something different not just by nature of the structure and the way that we're gathering, but what we do as part of the service here at the chapel. Here at the chapel, we do, uh, we do the response stations during our service as a way to make time to hear from God, to absorb the message, to respond to the message. We take communion, we light candles, we have the confessional. We do that every single Sunday, not as a ritual, but as a way in which we can grow like Christ more and more every weekend, right? And this is one of those spaces where our worship is amazing. Isn't May awesome and her team? Oh, come on, we are so blessed. Amazing. But the beauty of the way that we do worship in this space is that we actually get to hear ourselves sing. And I personally love that. I'm not a very good singer. You know, I'm really glad this thing is off while we're all worshiping because you would not want to hear me sing. But I am so grateful God does. And I love that we together, don't we sound beautiful? It is so encouraging to me. Now, this last Thursday, we had a, a worship and prayer night here at the chapel. It was packed. Uh, we actually took out the back rows back there because people just wanted to stand during the service last year. So we made space for that. There were people in the aisles. There were people in the center. One lady was dancing down the aisle. I mean, it was just a wonderful time of worship and praise. How many of you were here? Anybody? Yeah, all right. Because here's the thing. It was so beautiful. I thought, oh, that's what I want the chapel to be like every single Sunday. People just on fire for the Lord. Not holding back right? Really worshiping God for all that he is, but doing it together. Loving God, loving one another. And again, because we're in this intimate space, we can really have a sense of us being with one another, right? And so the whole point of us gathering is to grow more and more like Christ. And we are called to participate on the work of helping another person, other people, become more and more like Christ. That's what we did last week. But here's the thing. You cannot do this by your own power. You cannot do this on your own power. You cannot change someone by your own power. You know, if you've been married for a while, you probably know this. Because, you know, we get married and we think, yeah, I'm, I, I love this person. They're amazing. Oh, I'm so loved. Woo. But that one thing... <laughs> I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that over years of marriage. And, you know, it never works. My husband and I have been married 15 years. He's out of town this weekend. And just before he left, 
uh, we just moved back to our home, and I said, hey, honey, can we start something new? Can we, like, take our car keys when we're done, when we come in the house, and put them in one dish so that whenever we go back to find our cars, we know where the keys are. We both, like, have them in the same spot. He's like, oh, honey, you don't understand what you're asking me to do. Your car is different than mine. So my car is old-fashioned. you got to put the key in and turn it, you know, like some of us, right? And, but his is the kind you can keep your key in the pocket, He's like, I, I come out of my car, it's in my pocket, I don't think about it. And then when I take out my, my money clip, I take out the key. So I'm not going to remember to take the key out when I get out of the car. I'm thinking, that's just so lame. Come on, let's put it in the dish. So I'm like, that makes no sense. No excuses. Change for me. <laughs> well, he, he left out of town Friday, and he took my car. So now I'm driving his car. And I have his key in my purse. Sure enough, I get out of the car. I forget to take the key out of my purse and put it in the dish. So listen, I can't change myself. There's no way I can change him. We don't have the power to change anyone else. We don't have it. We don't have the power to change ourselves. We don't have the power to change someone else. And Paul understood this. So he writes in verse 29, he says this. He says, to this end, what end? To grow in maturity of Christ and help others do the same. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul works hard for this purpose. He gives it all. If you know anything about Paul, if you read 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 through 33, write that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 through 33. Go read that. Paul tells us all about all the hardships he went through for doing the work that he's doing. He tells us that he was shipwrecked, that he was beaten, that he was jailed, that he was thrown out of town. He was practically killed several times, just as good as dead. Paul worked hard. But here he says, not on his own energy, but whose energy? The energy that Christ gave him. In fact, can I get geeky for a minute? Okay, I mean, I, when I study two passages, I think, oh, man, this is going to be like a really quick sermon. And then I start studying, and I realize this is like a six-part series. I can go on and on. All right, but so geeky meter for just a moment. When you look behind this sentence in the original language, which was Greek, the words behind it have so much more nuance than our English language. It's hard to translate it and get the meaning. So the word after, behind strenuously contends, is a word called agonizomenos, which you can hear the word agonize behind it. You hear it? Agonizomenos. And so the idea is kind of like an athlete strenuously working towards a fitness for a purpose. Paul used this kind of metaphor all the time. Run the race, right? Finish the race. An athlete works for a prize. Work towards winning a prize. Don't just sit back and do a little bit of effort. He's like, put all your energy behind it. That's what Paul did. And various versions translate this word differently. We just read the NIV that says strenuously contend, but the NLT says, which we have some Bibles back here, it says, I work and struggle. The New King James Version says, I labor and strive, right? The NRSV says, I toil and struggle. 
The idea is he worked hard. He didn't sit back and just let Jesus do all the work. He put his energy, but he says, I trust God. The whole purpose of what I'm doing is to help others mature in Christ. That can only happen through the power of Jesus, through the energy of Jesus, through the effort of Jesus. That's the only way it can happen. But that is our purpose. Now, you know, we are called by God to care for the poor and the marginalized, to care for the orphans and the widows, to to care for those who have less, who are struggling, who are lost. And so many times we're given the opportunity, even here at Mariner's Church, to give of our time that we might serve another person with their needs, right? And that is a privilege that God uses us in that way. But the whole purpose of us serving, even serving, is to make us into the image of Christ. The first time I got to serve, I went to a faith adventure trip. I went to Peru, uh, and we were giving away wheelchairs. This is in August of 2004. As soon as we got there, we went straight to a distribution, and they had all these people waiting for wheelchairs, many of them laying on the ground. When I watch a person being lifted from the ground, and put on the wheelchair for the first time, and sitting down, just like you're sitting down, the dignity that was brought back to their life was amazing. And what a privilege it was to be there for that moment. And we all left that trip saying, you know what, more was done in my heart, probably, than what happened to those people. As much as they were blessed by the wheelchair, we were changed, forever changed. At that time, the wheelchair was $47.11. I mean, that's like less than a pair of shoes, less than a purse, and cheaper than some dinners, right? And yet, my life was forever changed. I realized, I, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that is important for us to do. It is what we're called to do. But when you think about it for a minute, anyone can do that. You don't have to be a Christian to care for the poor and the marginalized and the orphan and the widow and the, the, rest, the refugees. In fact, it happens today. There are lots of nonprofits. There are Muslims. There are atheists. There are Buddhists, Hindus, who are caring for others. So yes, we are to do it, but we as followers of Jesus have another thing that we are to do. We are to join God in the work of maturing others into Christ. It's not just that we care for the temporal needs of people around us, but we care for the eternal health, their eternal well-being, to reestablish the purpose for which they were created. God wants to use us, yes, to care for the poor, the physically, the poverty, those who are financially poor, those who are oppressed, but he also calls us to care about their eternal health. We get to do both. We get to be used by God to be done both. You know, Paul writes in Romans that God works everything for the good of those who love him. And man, this is one of those terribly misused verses because you hear people use it all the time the wrong way. When you read the next verse, it says, what is the good the verse is talking about? To be conformed into the image of Christ. Everything that happens in our lives, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, God is working towards us becoming more and more like his son. Loving God, 
with all our mind, our soul, our hearts, and loving others the way that Jesus loved us. That's what he is doing. And he's calling us to do, to join him in that work. Paul says he does all of this with the energy that comes from Christ. And the word behind that is energia, which it's actually used twice in the sentence. I've purposely chosen to leave this verse on the screen the whole time. I want you to look at this. It says, with all the energy, that there's one place where energia is, but also where it says works, powerfully works at me, same word, energia. And that word is used in scripture only eight times in the New Testament, all by Paul. And every time Paul uses it, he's referring to supernatural power. He is referring to the power of God. In Ephesians, he tells us it's the same power that brought Jesus out from the dead. That power is the power Paul is trusting to do the work that he's being called to do. Because like I said, it's very hard to change ourselves, let anyone else. We cannot change someone else. We can pray and pray all we want, but we can't do it. The power of God is the one that does it. So this brings to mind this thought. So a few years ago, my husband and I were moving a chair from upstairs to downstairs. And he goes, Inez, would you help me? Well, here's the problem. I have no upper body strength. So don't pick a fight with me. I will lose. None. He jokes about it all the time. I don't like lifting weights. I'm not interested. And so I don't do it. And so he's like, okay, I need you to help me. But I'm going to take the heavier part of the chair. It was one of those recliners, you know. And he took the heavier part. He goes, and you take the lighter part. We'll go down the steps with this thing. And I'm going down with him. And I, I know I'm doing nothing. I mean, I have no strength. So I'm like holding the top end. And I'm watching. My husband is a big, muy guapo gringo, you know. And he's strong, you know. But he's carrying this thing practically by himself. But hey, I'm part of it, you know. <laughs> and I'm giving my best. It's not like I'm sloughing off. But in reality, the most of the energy was his. That's the same way Paul is working. The same way he's calling us to work. Jesus does 99.999% of the work. We do everything we can. We exhaust ourselves. We weary ourselves out. And we're doing this little bit. But that little bit counts. That little bit counts. And so we put all our effort to try to make a world. You see, the world is desperate for Jesus. The world needs Jesus. There are people in your life that are trying so hard to make themselves better, to enlighten themselves, to, to, to fight some sort of addiction, to fix relationship, to uh, restore something that was broken, to heal uh, anxiety and depression, and, and to deal with the hopelessness. The world needs Jesus. And he's, Jesus has called you and me to bring Jesus to them. They need freedom. And the thing is, when we're enslaved, when we're not believing this, we cannot free anyone else. We cannot participate in freeing someone else. Now, here's the thing. We just moved this last week. And while we were moving, a bird entered into our house. Our, the contents people left the doors open, and this cute little bird flew in our house. For three days, we're trying to get the bird out. This thing is flying all over the house. So we thought, you know what? We're just going to, it's going to get tired and it's going to come down at some point. And so we, every day we came and visited the bird and it still would not get out. Well, Saturday, I went back to the house and it had flown into one of the bedrooms. So I closed the bedroom door and I thought, okay, good. I'm going to get this bird out finally. 
and I close the door, and I'm trying to help the bird get out. Now, it's flying up towards the ceiling the whole time and just banging its head every I mean, all the time, trying to think, okay, where's the sky? Where's the sky? And it's banging its head all over the room. And, of course, all our stuff is gone because we moved out, but I found one hanger in the closet. So I go get the hanger, and I'm trying to gently, gently use this hanger to help the bird get out. And I'm like, come on, little bird. You know, I open, there's a little patio uh, just outside that bedroom. So I open the double doors. I'm like, look it, straight shot out. Your friends are singing out there. They're chirping. There's food. There's water. There's freedom. You can go anywhere you want. You know I get stuck in this bedroom. So I'm going around trying to chase this bird for 30 minutes. I'm going, come on, Holy Spirit, help this bird out. Come on, Holy Spirit, bring him. Because here's what it took. The bird had to lower himself to make it through the door. He would fly to the edge of the door and just stop there. I'm like, come on, humble yourself, bird. Humble yourself. You can make it. Come on. Just, just drop just enough so you can make it out into freedom. How many of us are going around banging our heads, banging our heads, banging our heads, trying to find freedom from addiction, from relationship problems, from depression, from anxiety, from hopelessness, when God is going, oh, I have a better place for you. I have a better way for you. Come on, just humble yourself. Trust me, I've got this place for you to go. And he is calling you and I. What a privilege. What a humbling privilege. We're being used by God to help others become like Christ. And as we grow, we can share what we know. And you know, I know what you're thinking. Oh, my goodness, that's a big responsibility. It's like, Inez, you don't know me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not a really good representation of Jesus. I totally get it. I actually know you. Because I'm the same way. I think me represent Jesus to the world. Listen, when I'm driving on the freeway, I hope you don't know my license plate. Sometimes I don't do the right thing. Think of that. I'm glad I don't have like a cross in my car. So everyone goes, oh, there's a Christian again. <laughs> or my neighbor, she's got this barking dog that will not stop barking. I have some really dark thoughts about that dog. I want you to know. <laughs> if the world had to meet Jesus through me, whoo! And I'm thinking you feel the same way. You got your own things that you have to worry about, right? But the reality is God is choosing to reveal his son through you and through me. Imperfect vessels. People still work in progress. We don't have it all together. But he wants to use us to reveal Jesus. How's Jesus looking to the world through you? A little bit terrifying, I know. But it encourages us to lean in to maturing so that we can reflect Jesus even more. We need to be in God's word. We need to trust in the Holy Spirit to guide us that we might reflect Jesus more and more each day. As we bask in his glory, as we build relationship with God, we become more like him and we can reflect that onto others. Right? I get it. Lots of people don't do a good job at it, which is why we need one another. Paul wrote in Philippians, he says, listen, stand firm together. This is why we gather. We need to come and be together because I may not be doing a great job, but you are, and maybe you make me look good. Thank you. 
But maybe I can encourage you or, or you can encourage me. You see, when we come together like iron sharpening iron, we can grow more and more to the capacity that we're called to be. We get to, we get to help the world see. That is what Paul works for, worked for so hard what he gave his whole life for, what he was willing to suffer immeasurably for, because it was worth it. There's no better way to live. And Paul, Paul says this in uh, Philippians 4. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Everything that Paul did. Do we admire Paul? I do. But everything he did, he said he did it through the power of Jesus. Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. I was not the, the, I shouldn't be the poster boy for Jesus. I was the worst of the worst, but God chose to use me and everything that I did, I did it through the power. He says, I will boast in nothing but my weakness. I will boast in Jesus Christ. That's what you and I get to do. Well, we're back at our house, as you can tell. And this weekend, while Jim was gone, I was so enjoying our house. I was unpacking boxes, singing, flushing every toilet, you know, running laundry, running the sink, letting it just go, going downstairs, make sure there's no flood. You see, what we had to do, we couldn't fix the line that was damaged. It was underneath our master bedroom and, and bathroom. We had to make a new line. Jim figured out with a group of engineers to actually rewire the sewer system with a new way. And this new way required less repair, and now our house works the way it was purposed to work. Maybe God needs to rewire you to become more and more like Jesus, and he intends to re rewire others to do the same, that the world may know, that they may know that God loves them, that God seeks relationship with them, that God seeks eternally with every man and woman who would choose to believe and trust their life in Jesus. And so as we respond, I'll have the worship team come forward. Again, one of the distinctives here at the chapel is that these stations remind us of this journey that we're in. Because as we uh, seek to mature in Christ, when we get up and we move about these stations, we are letting these truths sink deeper in our hearts, and we get to like hook into God and find out what is He telling me? What is what is God wanting me to do with this new information? And so we go to the confessional wall, for example, because we are reminded that we have been made free. We've been made free like, like the bird. Already there's a huge freedom before us, and we might be allowing something to hold us down while in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation. So we need to be reminded of that, that we may step into maturity. Maybe we need to build stronger relationships with others. That's maybe our weakness, that we might be one of those people that are like, you know, I'm, uh, I don't like those people there. I don't want anything to do with them. Maybe I don't want to even be around people. Whatever it is, maybe that's what you need. Or maybe there's someone in your life that you're trying to change, and you need to let God be the one to change them. Or maybe there's someone in your life you want God to come and care and rescue. And that's why we light candles. Jesus was the light of the world. He calls us to be the light of the world. He's the one with the power to transform minds and hearts. Right? We come to the offering boxes because everything that we have comes from God. He is a generous, generous God. 
And sometimes for us to grow in the likeness of Jesus, we have to practice generosity. He was most generous with all that he was. He gave everything. So when we give a little bit from what we have, we look like Jesus. We smell like Jesus. We do like Jesus. We come and we pray with the elder right here and the prayer team around the room. Because we seek relationship with God, prayer is a conversation with God. There's no science to it. The same way we talk, that's how we get to talk to God. And so when we gather together with someone to pray with us, we come together to seek a deeper relationship with our Lord. And we take communion, a beautiful reminder that our maturity in Christ came at a heavy, heavy cost. That Jesus came to give us, to rewire us, to, to find, give us a new way towards relationship with God. And that cost him everything. When it says he gave up his life, not just his physical life, he gave up his whole being for you, for me. And now all he asks is that we trust him. That we allow him to do in us what God wanted us to be all along. And so we take communion to remember that. Now, I, I want to encourage you today to not be orderly. Are you excited about that? We're going to make a holy mess. Normally, I know in the chapel, we get up, we come down the aisles, and we take communion, and then we try the other stations. But today, I want us to go to this station where we feel like God's calling us to, to have a little dialogue with us. So for you, it might be, I'm going straight to the confessional wall. I'm going to the prayer wall. I'm going to the elder, to the prayer team, to the candles, to the offering boxes. And then maybe communion. Whatever order God is calling you, go there and ask Jesus, Jesus, make me more and more like you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.